Celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Tall Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. I'm very excited, a little bit nervous. Dan Williamson is an Olympic champion, New Zealand rower, Yale graduate with a Bachelor of Arts in Astronomy, a high-impact athlete. Dan began rowing as a novice in 2014 and saw early success, leading him to make decisions about following his ever-growing athletic ambitions, wherever that may take him. Off to Auckland first, changing skills, then Lithuania in 2017 with his first New Zealand team appearance at the Junior World Champs, then the United States to study and row at Yale University in 2018, throw in a trip to some world champs and later Tokyo for the 2020 Observe 2021 Olympic Games before returning to Yale to complete his studies. What's more, during all those worldly travels, both athletic and probably some enjoyment, Dan has been racking in the silverware, beginning at home with a borderline ridiculously impressive uh, Aeon Marty Cup into a silver at those juniors, dominated the under-20 and under-22 national scene, which propelled him right into the under-23 world champ men's four who took home bronze in 2018. Off to Yale into the IRA's championship boat, all before returning to the elite squad in New Zealand to squeeze in some high performance training, earn silver in the Premier in eight, secure a last chance qualification in Lucerne in May of 2021, mere months before the New Zealand men's eight would reclaim the Olympic gold title after a near 50 year wait. He was the youngest member at just 21 years old but he's so much more he's a friend a keen outdoorsman traveler community focused person and I'm just so stoked to talk to you today so first question where and how are you today yeah thank you it's quite a flattering introduction um but no it's great to be here um also a little bit nervous but we'll be all right at the moment I'm in Cambridge New Zealand so currently a part of summer squad here obviously training towards uh uh, the, the the Paris 2024 Olympic Games, but I'm good. Uh, a little bit tired. We've just come off a big two week block after the the summer break, so it's all rest and recovery this weekend before we jump into uh, some racing and some trialing uh, over the next few weeks. Oh my gosh! And yeah, you mentioned like tired. Is that just kind of a stock standard? mode that you get in most days yeah um i mean it comes and goes obviously with you know depending on what 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 period of training we're in but yeah being tired is a pretty constant and consistent part of of high performance sport and that's something that i love to touch upon i know there's going to be a lot of sport talk and athlete because that is a huge part of your identity but the first question just to strip it back as i mentioned you are so many more things than that but that's just probably a huge forefront so if we had to take out the word athlete or rower how would you describe yourself yeah it's a little bit of an interesting one and I think it's interesting how much of your identity gets tied to what you do and you know often I am Dan the rower opposed to like Dan who also rows or happens to row and you know it can be hard for you to for you to feel like you can change that perception sometimes but um you know I am a hard worker no matter what it is I'm doing and I can be incredibly an incredibly disciplined person detail oriented you know these are you know all the traits that probably you know make me uh, a good athlete and they are my dominant traits so naturally I, I apply those to other areas of my life but um you know I'm curious I I love the outdoors I believe I'm a good friend and 
I kind of wish that's how I could spend all my time just, you know, with my friends outside having fun. I love that very much. And as you mentioned, hard worker, disciplined across all traits, Yale is a pretty cool place to be, right? And there's so many people who that alone would be such an accomplishment to get there. As I mentioned, you sidestep for a second to go to the Olympics. So do you think... Or like maybe could you talk us through a lot of people don't know that process of deciding to go to the States. I didn't warn you of this question, but how do you feel like that experience has kind of helped shape you beyond just the rower? Uh, the American experience? Yeah, I mean, deciding to go there is a whole, you know, another conversation in itself and that process. But, you know, and this will probably touch on this and other um, questions, but I could kind of like see my life unfolding in front of me by the time I'd hit juniors or 23s, like what I could see it unfolding in New Zealand being stuck. That sounds like a negative way to put it, but stuck in the system, like just being an athlete uh, for the next 10 years of my life. And that does sound great, but, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to be more than an athlete. I wanted to, you know, get some qualifications under my belt. And it was a little tricky to do that. In New Zealand while being a full-time high performance athlete so you know I was certainly drawn by that being over there I mean America is just incredibly interesting place you've got this just huge melting pot of you know different people and cultures and thought and ideas and again being at a university that encourages discussion and collaboration of all those things like quite a quite a awesome experience to to get out there and see how you know the rest of the world kind of lives totally and even we were discussing before we started recording like you went to Yale which is in Connecticut right is it Connecticut, Connecticut. yes okay yeah. this little tri-state area we're in I sometimes yeah. get confused where's where and for those who don't know I went to Rutgers which is in New Jersey and if you look at it on a map you're like oh those are quite close but no, like we have such different cultures and experiences and people who ever find themselves in New Brunswick, New Jersey, probably have to giggle a little bit. It's a bit rough and rowdy. So I enjoy hearing what other uh, athletes, especially rowers, of course, experience when they come to the States because I was the same. Like suddenly a huge part of my identity was you're the New Zealand rower and it was just cool oh, to yeah. be from New Zealand. Yeah, we did, we did nothing to deserve this. Just be born, and suddenly you're special for being from New Zealand. Um, yeah. It's like a little superpower that you just had. <laughs> yeah, it, so, it certainly got you in the door. You know, got a foot in the door of a few places. Yeah. Second question I seen over, and I'm so curious because we just mentioned Yale and Olympics, and you're in summer squad and all these crazy things. How would you define high performance? Oh. Yeah, again, um, well, like quite simply, it's it's being like in that top echelon of whatever it is you're you're pursuing, and I'd say that means like devoting a considerable amount of your personal time and energy uh, towards a single endeavor. You know, you don't see many high performance high performers with like split interests. Um, and, you know, that, again, whether that's healthy or unhealthy um, is another conversation. But any, like, given point in time, like, it's a pretty intense soul focus to be the best you can uh, with, with performance being the goal. And, you know, that does mean that sometimes 
other facets of life are neglected. But that, that's a part of it and something we're conscious of and, and are fine with. So well said. Even like not having the split makes me think of your jack of all trades, master of none. Sometimes right. it's good to be the jack of all trades. Like you can try your hand at so many things. But to your point, when you do commit to being the master of that one thing, in this instance, rowing, you have to be a hundred percent all in. You can't be lukewarm because so many other people want to do that. And if you're not, someone else is willing to put in that level. So I think that's a good call out. It's it's not really feasible to be looking in many, many directions once you get to that echelon that you discussed. Right. And some people can do it, you know, but for most of us, it, it takes a... <laughs> oh, you say some people can do it. Why do you just think some people naturally have that talent to be able to pick something up at a greater speed? Like in your circles have you noticed that difference between hard work and discipline and sometimes people just have it for sure i mean you see like the, the whole spectrum of those people and it's interesting who who progresses at different you know phases of a you know sport or academic interest or you know career like what's the uh the quote hard hard work beats talent with talent doesn't work hard or something like that yep that's it yeah, but certainly at a high performance level, it, it's hard work that's going to win every time. Just, is. just the way it is. But there are certainly, you know, if I speak within rowing, like different other levels, perhaps university level where talent can get you a long way. Um, you know, you're not quite doing, you don't have the time to do enough hours of training uh, for that to be a, you know, huge factor and who's going to pull ahead so it is just like who's got more raw talent sometimes yeah but it's certainly interesting to see who's got what and you know maybe learn off other people to see how you can elevate yourself but yeah definitely there's I've been fortunate to also speak with Grace Prendercast and then Eric Murray on separate occasions right. and I asked these similar questions right and something Grace and I got to was like her and with you and with Eric and when you get to these high performance levels, like your metrics, in my opinion, are so skewed because everyone is extremely good. They're elite. And so the difference between the best and like, for lack of a better word, the bottom is so small and so above where everyone else is. But Grace would say, you know, when she's 16, if you said, oh, you're going to go to the Olympics, she'd be like, you're crazy. That's so cool. But yeah. once you get into that circle of elite, you're suddenly like, well, what boat? Where am I sitting? What's our speed? Like you've yeah. entered this weird bubble where you just can't get as much um, perspective that someone like me looking in is just like, wow, you went to the Olympics. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of had like, and you have those like moments of reflection every now and then, right? I like consciously had one the other day where I was, you know, we're out training on Carapiro and it's, we're all rowing pairs and like, I kind of thought back to when I was in my first couple of seasons rowing um, on Carapero or racing on Carapero and you come to these regattas and, you know, you'd race your, your 15 events and your 16 events, 17, you know, whatever it was. And, and then of course, sprinkled throughout, you know, the school program, there were these like premier events and you got to watch these elite rowers race. And I remember like looking at their times and looking at my times in the same boat and going like, oh, there's just like no way 
in a million years, no matter how much work I put in, I could get that fast. Like it's just, you know, they're just something else. And yeah, I kind of just had like this weird thought the other day that, oh no, I'm, I'm actually like there right now. That's um, so good <laughs> to be aware of it in the moment. And you know, was it you who I believe, I remember seeing like on the news where there's a photo of like you and Hamish and you're like yeah. at Marty. <laughs> <laughs> next thing you're in the boat together can you talk me through and any listeners that that photo yeah i i think i put a i made a little like collage or something i put on my story instagram story like after the olympics it was like where it started versus where i am now or something and it goes the first one was this photo from 2014 i remember seeing hamish in the boat park with my first year rowing and you know, greatest we've ever done it. So of course you run over and you're like, oh, can me and my friend get a get a photo? Good lad that he is, agreed. And we've got this photo of me and my mate standing either side of him. And it's it's quite funny actually, because even back then I was an inch or two taller than him. And I, I still remember that he turned to us and said, he said, Oh my God, like I feel like the coxswain right now. And we just kind of laughed at this, you know, like two time Olympic champion. Well, once then but soon to be two soon to be three <laughs> olympic champion kind of uh, feeling that way but yeah and then obviously fast forward six seven years i'm i'm sitting in the boat with probably one of the people that i looked up to the most throughout my like younger years you know th there's no better example of <laughs> like how to do it and how to be high performance athlete how to be in the best the best in the world at what you do so yeah and and even further i think hamish hamish was the person who reached out to me uh while i was at yale to ask me like do you think you could come back and and give the new zealand team a crack um no and like, i still got still got screenshots of those messages on my phone it was just sitting in the library on like a tuesday night at 8 p.m and like First, I get this like Hamish Bond has sent you a friend request or like wants to follow you, and it's like okay. Now I get these messages. I'm like, wow, like that. That was all a bit of a a dream in a crazy 24 hours. Um, and we could even get into that a little bit later about um how that unfolded, but uh, certainly pretty special and and even more incredible to just work day in day out uh, next to the guy to watch him. He's uh, you know, watch him and feel him. He's incredibly inspiring. Uh, oh my goodness. Like what he can put out on a daily basis. is just phenomenal. And you start to like understand, you know, why him and Eric were so successful for so long. I have, I know we have to get into it now, please. When you get that message, you take a <laughs> screenshot, you're sitting there like, what are your wow. next steps? Do you remember? Like, what do you do when you receive that? Yeah, I remember, I remember all very clearly. So this was probably like, it was 2019 after they failed to qualify the eight. And, you know, they'd had a, a turbulent few years that had guys come in, guys come out. Um, you know, I think they got like a medal in a World Cup and then they were out the back door at the next and then they were looking on to qualify and then they didn't. And they won Henley and then they didn't qualify. Like it was just, it was a bit all over the place and... Um, you know, I'd been keeping in touch with the coaches and they knew that, you know, had been tracking over in the US. And so my first year I did well and I got into the top eight and we won an IRA. So I think they were probably thinking, well, you know, this guy has just kind of learned how to row an eight. Like maybe he's got something useful. I don't know. So 
yeah, Hamish sends me a message and he pretty much just goes, like, you have any interest in coming to back to New Zealand? He's like, what's your 2K? What's your max power? What's your 5K? Uh, just think we need a bit more power in this eight. And like, he left it at that. And I was like, oh my God. So, you know, went into my spreadsheets and found all my numbers and I sent it through to him and <laughs> waited a response. But essentially it evolved into a, a bit of back and forth and they were pretty keen to have me come back and trial uh for the the eight for tokyo 2020 which at that point was 2020 covid wasn't a thing yet long story short of a couple months go by and I actually end up sending an email back saying sorry i'm actually really enjoying um what i'm doing right now i'm super happy at yale i'm just i'm loving the rowing i'm loving school i'm you know loving the people um gotten really close to my friends. I want to graduate with them. So I, I don't really see myself taking a year off to come and do this. So like, so like, thank you. And respectfully, uh, no thanks. <laughs> um, and that was that. So I just went about my, my business at school, but you know, of course, well, six months, less than 12 months later, COVID hit and uh, I was back to New Zealand anyway. And then, you know, over those few months, it was, um, I think I got a spot on a U23 team and then development squad and then finally joined, rejoined the team again, uh, the elite team. And that's kind of how that unfolded. That is such a wild, cool story. And the fact that you backed yourself in your decision and then life does what it does and you get that opportunity. I also, when I was researching you, came across that you had to do and maybe we'll cut this who knows but you had to do MIQ for two weeks like between qualifying and then the Olympics like less than two months you're like high performance athletes you're actually just going to stop for two weeks were you mad were you like baffled or just accepted yeah well firstly we didn't we didn't stop we had rowing machines yeah so it was more it was it was more like it's, it's not that we're going to stop it's that everything's going to be on a rowing machine and like oh no we're going to lose boat fuel you know kind of thing um yeah but this is just there were plenty of obstacles that year and this was just another one of them and you know every single person could agree coaches physiologists athletes like this is one of the least ideal things you could have in the lead up to a pinnacle event but almost straight away we just had to somehow flip that narrative like we couldn't have that in our minds right like that's no way to mentally prepare yourself for like the olympics so we just we just you know made the best situation out of it we could yeah did the best we can you know we all put on zoom we put a zoom meeting on every morning for our trainings and that kind of thing and and you're allowed 10 minutes outside of your room every day. So we'd all meet in the car park, you know, five meters away from each other and do a bit of stretching and mobility. But yeah, it was, it was a bit of a grind that that two weeks. And um, certainly lot learned a lot just like being a you know in your own company for that long. But however we felt about it was kind of irrelevant. We came out the other side actually pretty fit and like much to our surprise and pretty ready to attack the uh the stuff on the water and thankfully when we did get back on the water after those two weeks it was just like like straight away we hadn't lost a hadn't lost a day kind of thing so oh, i think we ended up gaining a lot out of that that little ordeal yeah you're almost like 
for lack of a better word, like a caged animal. And then when you guys got mm. loose, you're like, let's go for it. Wow. Okay. It's funny though. I think, I think if, if things hadn't gone our way, we definitely would have blamed it on that experience. You know, it's also interesting how the end result affects the narrative of whatever's happened. That's so true. Cause the way you look at it changes. If it hadn't gone well, you'd be like, oh, those two weeks were detrimental. Whereas it did go well. So you see the merits in it, but it sounds like at the time right. you were still not positive, but just like, this is it. No need to have emotions as much. Just get it done. Control the controllables, right? That's a good, that is a good one. Okay. I always find it really fascinating whether you're a singer, a musician, whatever. At some point you realize like, oh, I'm good. Like, I'm not just like, okay, I'm, <laughs> this is a legitimate path for me. And as I mentioned, borderline ridiculous Marty Cup experience, right? You're, you're seeing success early on. But what point did you realize like, oh, elite sports, a legitimate pathway for me. And did that change how you approached it at all? I mean, that last season at school, which was quite successful, like you said, was probably quite a key, a key moment. And that it, it got me a junior trial, right? And that's kind of the first rung on the ladder for the high performance system. You know, they, they take people into juniors who they think can make 23s, who they think can make elites years down the line. So I had a junior trial and at the trial, um, I, I think they still do this. I don't know. You have an interview with the selectors oh. and during this interview, the selectors kind of asked me, Oh, like, are you looking into going to the U S to study? And which I was, so I said, yes. And so my interview was pretty much them just like trying to convince me to stay in New Zealand and they're throwing all sorts at me. Anyway, that, that's not important, but what it kind of made me realize was that, okay, they see, you know, something in me and they think that I belong in this program, not just for the junior year, but for 23s and beyond. So that was probably my first like realization of, okay, like, I, I could be doing this for a while if I want to, but funnily enough, and like I said earlier, I think them trying to convince me so much, uh, you know, kind of pushed me the other way, <laughs> it kind of drove me away a little bit more. I could see my life unfolding there and I just wanted something different, um, you know, and I alluded to that earlier, but I had these, you had these realizations, I think over and over throughout your career, probably because there's like a little bit of naivety to each in each realization so like at school i don't know you crack it and you're like okay yeah i'm pretty good now like i could go all the way and then you you know you go to rpc and you realize how hard you know the training is and you get humbled a bit and then but then at rpc i got to race against some of the elites in the prem pair when i was about four, 17 18 years old and i think we managed to beat like one or two crews like, you know, out, you know, there's a couple of us fighting out the back door. Um, so then you have a little, you know, spark again, like, okay, I can beat one or two, or maybe in a few years with more work, I can beat a few more and actually, you know, earn myself a spot on that team. And, you know, it goes over and over. Then you get a medal at 23s and I was quite competitive in my first year at Yale. So, and then being asked to come back to the NZ team was probably like the nail in the coffin of like, okay, it's less about me 
like it's, it's less about me wanting to be there now them ask like wanting me to be there but yeah certainly that that juniors period was probably the point where i realized it was on the cards uh, long term definitely especially when they're having those conversations of like you should stay you realize oh i have value and that's got to feel good and i remember uh, visiting you at Karapero, you're in a little village. Like it's probably, yeah. It's like you you've had your rowing at school, but this might be like that first time you're in an environment, literally like sleeping next to your teammates, so controlled, and everyone's like you're you're getting that taste of like oh I'm in a high performance environment where everyone is actually pretty great and you belong there, and that's got to feel like quite validating. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. And at that point in your career or your, you know, you're quite young. So you like for your work to be validated by, you know, results and success, you know, certainly quite special then. Yes. And that leads me to like my crux question. So the podcast, it's all about celebrating success and learning from legends and like growing more poppies because, and you've also had that US experience when I came to the United States, I was like, oh, these people are like, really proud of themselves and I was like can we just yeah. cut it out like that instinctiveness to be like settle down and now I've embraced it more but tall poppy syndrome doesn't really exist here in the same way it does for us in New Zealand so no right or wrong answer could you please describe tall poppy syndrome in your own words and secondly have you experienced it yeah um Tall poppy syndrome, probably like a, I don't know, can't quite think of the right adjective, but like a shaming or a degrading or a bringing down of a person who's in a like seemingly more desirable position to another or, or, or trying to like belittle one's accomplishments. Um, and like you see it a lot in with successes in sport or academics or business, but it, it could also be that someone is just, jealous maybe of how someone else goes about their life you know it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to success but I like to flip it around a little bit and I think there's this idea and it's summed up by oh I think it's Denzel Washington and I don't know if this has been said on this podcast before but it's that you'll never be criticized by someone who's doing more than you you'll always be criticized by someone doing less than you it's always someone who in their eyes for whatever reason they think they are below you and that that makes them jealous or uncomfortable or, or maybe just upset that they can't do whatever it is that you are and they try to you know bring this tall poppy down a few pegs try to humble them try to make them look the same as as everyone else that's really well said is that something that I, no one has said before that quote did you hear it long ago? Does it stick with you? Or is that something you just came across? Oh, it's probably something I just like scrolled across, across on like Instagram a couple years ago. But it, like, I don't know, you scroll, scroll across a lot of bullshit on social media. But for some reason, that one is stuck with me. And it's true. Uh, in my experience, at least, I find those people focused on like growing their own grass aren't really paying attention if yours is this or that, if anything, they're like, oh, yo, right. how are you doing that? And creating this dialogue of, oh, I'm seeing your success. Let's actually converse because I want us to both rise and do better as opposed to bringing you back down 
to where I'm at. And yeah. again, uh, referencing the progress of Eric, just because there's so many relatables with you. Like he said at the point when he got to the finals, he'd be like, I know I've put in the work. Like he's so confident because he's like, Hamish and I have done it. Like we've worked so hard in training that you can't say we're not great because we are like his confidence was so earned in what he'd done and what he'd trained that it was that kind of in awe of experiencing someone being so confident with themselves. But like with you, you're an Olympic champ. So when that happened, did you feel like, Oh yeah, no, I've, I've reached a level of success. Or do you still find yourself thinking like, Oh, should I be like any imposter syndrome come through? Oh, huge, huge. All imposter syndrome. Um, I mean, like it was never part of the plan to go to Tokyo, right? Like I said that earlier, like I turned it down a few years ago. The plan was always graduate. Like if I'm, you know, hopefully if I'm good enough, give Paris 2024 a crack and get a feel for it all. And then in 2028, maybe I'll like have some miles under my belt and the experience to be able to like go for a medal or, you know, go for that Olympic championship. So for me, like Tokyo was just never supposed to happen. And like, I remember when it did, I was just laughing because I, like, I didn't, I didn't know how to compute it. I was just sitting in the boat, like on the, after that finish line, just like kind of laughing to myself. Um, and I certainly didn't believe it um, for a long time. For months, maybe even a year, like, you know, it was just, I, I just really kind of in a way as well, like refused to believe that I had done it uh, almost because like, I still wanted to work towards it. Oh yeah. Like the like, thing that was supposed to be the end goal had happened. Yeah. So I'd kind of been like, no, my goal is still to win an Olympic gold medal. And I kind of just like tried to forget the fact that I had already done it. Um but, and this is kind of circling back to what you said at the start, I went straight back to America after the Olympics. I didn't get to come home because of the timings with MIQ. Um, I would have come back to New Zealand, been in MIQ for two weeks, and then like been home for two days and then go, have to go back for the start of school. And you it literally, wasn't worth it. I did not appreciate that you went straight from like Tokyo back to the States. Yeah, back to school. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, like, I don't know, Americans are pretty great people. So, you know, my friends like to do a little bit of humbling to make sure I wasn't getting too high, but it was, it certainly wasn't in a tall poppy sense because they were also the people, you know, telling everyone else about my achievements and what I would done and like making sure the world knew about it kind of thing. So it was pretty awesome to have that kind of support group around me and probably not something I would have gotten in New Zealand potentially I don't know yeah and I guess I mean you won't know because that didn't happen but I was reading like since 1956 that was the last like Olympic medal Yale roller right so you turn up into that environment and you're like oh wow and in New Zealand it's reclaiming the title again another like 50 year span so right and we did kind of touch upon this but you you go back to school and you're getting back into another season suddenly is there like the, the pressures that you probably already had already always had when you go to race internally externally um 
how do you approach those, especially now post Olympic champ? How do you approach those pressures? Or do you, I mean, do you have them? You probably do. Yeah. I mean, uh, yes and no. Uh, you're talking post Olympics, right? Honestly, both. Like, talk me through it and however. I mean, internal and external pressures going into the Olympics are a cool conversation as well. Um, and certainly there's different kinds of pressures post-Olympics. Probably complicated in my situation by the fact that I had to deal with some significant injuries as well, which kind of kept me out of the boat for a long time and threw me right back to square one. But um, at least heading into an Olympic Games, or for us, um, like there was plenty of internal pressure, not a lot of external, you know, not many people thought we could win. Um, and we'd kind of confirm that by coming second in the heat. So that there wasn't a lot of external pressure coming from, you know, the rowing world or supporters or fans or whatever. At least I felt that to, to win. Um, all of that was coming from ourselves. But dealing with that, I'd say there are a few things. And like the first one on a like long-term basis is like you have to be careful how you like how you dream like you know you have these like you know you have these big great dreams of what you want to accomplish and probably saying to be careful about how you do that is the wrong way to word it but like your dreams can be so powerful like they are what make humans do extraordinary things but sometimes they could mislead you a little bit because it does take much more than the dream itself to achieve it so Again, you're probably getting a little pattern here. Like I do love my quotes every now and then. A dream written down with a date becomes a goal. A goal broken down into steps becomes a plan. A plan backed by action becomes reality. So like straight away, you've brought this far-fetched idea of winning an Olympic Games into a simple step-by-step plan. And like granted, I did not come up with a lot of the plan or the steps myself. You know, you've got coaches and physiologists and experienced athletes who spare the collective shit but you know personally I had my own plan too and you know bringing something into reality instead of this far-fetched idea like removes a lot of the pressure you don't have to think about the dream you just have to like worry about the task at hand each day and if you can complete it well enough then it just pushes you further towards that that end dream or that end goal you know Definitely. I even, as you're speaking and I'm hoping listeners are doing the same, I relate it to like, oh, what's a dream I have. And even with the podcast, there's certain people I'm like, oh, it would be incredible to talk to them. And like you were one, as I mentioned, I clearly had been following for a while. And then you start to go like, well, how do I do that? And you think, well, at some point you need to just communicate with him, right? Like you need to actually ask. And then I'm so pleasantly surprised when you're like, Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's why you do the high impact athlete. Like you are someone who was very community focused as well. So that made that a reality for me, but just hearing you explain how the dream and the steps to bring that into reality does make it seem more digestible and actionable, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. I'm a fan of the quotes. Absolutely. And Okay, some like just fun questions that I have to know. 21-year-old, you're at the Olympics. I remember crying watching people, like the, especially the women's like 
eight and then like when Phoebe Spores is going to Lucy and they're like crying because no one else is there and now that I know you went straight Mm. from the Olympics back to school like how do you FaceTime your parents afterwards like what are all the emotions (laughs) like back home when you're in Tokyo yeah I mean it's pretty hard to send all that raw emotion through a screen right so um yeah it was tricky um but I mean, even I think straight away, because we went back to like the like New Zealand team base and we had a like live link set up between where we were and like the cloud. And that's, of course, the cloud in Auckland. And that's where everyone's like all the supporters were and everyone watched the race. And I don't know if like you've gone back and watched those videos, but it looked like an epic time (laughs) there in the cloud. Like sometimes I wish I hear all these stories about people watching our race and I'm like, man, I just I wish I could have watched it and not actually like raced it because it sounded like everyone had such a great time but um it was yeah I mean probably for a while like I didn't know what emotions to convey or or, like how to talk to my family because I I didn't feel like it happened you know I was pinching myself kind of thing and it was all very real to them but it wasn't so much for me but yeah but certainly you know 12 months down the road um it it was pretty special um to have all those emotions coming back and seeing like my family for the first time and getting them to see my medal for the first time so so long after the race was like a bit bizarre but also kind of nice to like refresh myself you know and refresh my memories of like that pretty special day um yeah, but certainly I, it also didn't feel like anything different. You know, by that point, COVID had been around a while and everyone had been separated and got used to Zoom and that kind of thing. So it, it in a way, felt like the new normal. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that a lot. Are there things you miss from the States? Now, fully moved back to New Zealand. Um, is there... Like even just the fun things that you miss from Yale, if it was the food or the people, like what are some things that you're better having learned and taken from that experience that you go, oh, that'd be cool to have in New Zealand maybe a little bit. I mean, I certainly miss the dining halls. (laughs) You know, like don't have to cook three meals a day or you can eat. Damn, I wish I could have that here. But um, (laughs) no, I certainly miss... um, you know, I feel like here in Cambridge, you're very much in this like bubble of athletes, you know, and they're not necessarily rowers because cycling's also based here, canoeing's also based here, you know, some athletics athletes, you know, there's a triathletes, there's a range. Um, but in the US, it was like very easy to get out of that, that bubble of sports and athletics, you know, um, you could almost just leave that at the boathouse or the room or whatever you wanted and just go out and be a be a person and get amongst your schoolwork and your other friends and you know you could not talk about rowing or sport outside of training times if you really didn't want to whereas here it come you know it's kind of just a part of life um so you know i miss the diversity of people i guess or maybe i'm just not making enough friends here i don't know (laughs) um yeah i miss the, the diversity of people and you know getting to like get get that break from sport every now and then yeah it's nice and Cambridge I'm from Cambridge and so I know exactly what you mean there's how many carded athletes walking around people love 
Lycra is, I remember, I think it was like 2015 and it was the Masters Games in New Zealand, like New Zealand Master Games were in Cambridge and the amount of Masters athletes I saw in Lycra, I worked in the pharmacy, walking in, in like Lycra and I was like, this town, we need something else. Yeah. <laughs> in what I'm seeing. Um, I, yeah, that was, I, I get what you mean. Oh, cool. Okay. My last like sign off silly question is if you had to have just one meal for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, what's it going to be? It's not a death meal, but it's just the same one all the time. So one food for the rest of your life. Yeah. Hmm. It'd have to be like, like roast lamb or something. At breakfast as well, like all the time? Yeah, I could do it. Yeah, I could do it for breakfast for sure. Sometimes I do leftovers, you know. <laughs> that or like, I don't know, chippies. <laughs> any kind, any kind of, I could, I could do potatoes any kind of way for the rest of my life. Love potatoes, potato chips, hot chips. Oh. This is good. Uh, in terms of chips, chippies, is there a favorite flavor if we're going like packet, like crisp style? Oh, it's got to be the the snack of Changi vinegar and salt. Emphasis on vinegar first, right? Yeah, that was a little disturbing. Uh, the snack of Changi. Also, the way you said it out of every question, that was the most like confident. You're like, oh, that's the one. <laughs> Maybe it's the thing I know the most about. <laughs> I spent more time eating chips than rowing. No, oh, I honestly could keep chatting forever but I'm gonna formally wrap it up here I'm hoping this is like if you'll have it again this is part one we'll touch base in like another year and I'll see where you're at but Dan thank you so so much for being on Tall Poppy Talk I'm like just grinning this whole time and I'm so wildly impressed and excited for what's next so just thank you no thank you so much it's it's great very enjoyable thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk we'll see you next time feel free to check us out on socials YouTube and the website. Thanks for today.